Hey everyone, just a quick note that registration is open for ACSA's annual Distillers Convention and Vendor Trade Show. We're looking forward to gathering in person in Louisville, Kentucky this December 4th through 6th, and we hope to see you there. Plus, registration is also open for the Craft Spirits Packaging Awards. Sponsored by the Glass Packaging Institute, the competition celebrates excellence and creativity in the design of Craft Spirits labels and packaging. Visit AmericanCraftSpirits.org to learn more and register for both the convention and the awards. We were not totally aware of how much of this would, you know, translate over, but both of us came into the entire thing with already forklifting experience and logistics experience and warehousing, maintenance of things, you know, pivoting when you need to, and especially working with what you have. So, you know, when you're on a ship, you're literally, if something breaks, you have to fix it. And you have to fix it with whatever is available to you. And so, you know, being a small family-run business, you can't just buy the fanciest thing to fix every single part. You're always sort of being a genius and trying to figure things out. From the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine, this is the Craft Spirits Podcast. I'm John Page, and today on the program... Out to Sea and Back to Spirit Works. Our guest today is Ashby Marshall. For more than a decade, Ashby and her husband, Timo, worked for environmental nonprofits, which included plenty of time at sea. But they eventually grounded themselves, and they later launched Spirit Works Distillery in Sebastopol, California in 2012. With a commitment to making spirits from grain to glass, Spirit Works produces several whiskeys vodka, and gin, including a slow gin that's a nod to Timo's upbringing in southwest England. I recently spoke to Ashby about their products, Spirit Works' mostly female distilling team, and how her background in environmental work prepared her and Timo for running a craft distillery. But first, I asked Ashby to describe a unique piece of artwork in one of their offices. Essentially, we wanted to really document somehow the first gin and tonic we ever made with the first gin with our batch one that we actually bottled and put out in market and we were thinking of various ways to do that and uh, my husband Timo had this idea to record the sound of us making it Um, and so we literally just started an audio recording as we cut out the glass put it on the counter dropped in the ice poured in the gin pour in the tonic cut a lime and slice it and from that file that we got um, we essentially input it online and got back one of those sound graphs. Um, and so from there, they decided this would be really cool to paint on a wall somewhere to really visually des- describe the first gin and tonic we ever had. So in back in the early days when we had a little bit more downtime than we do now, um, we took over one of my walls and projected this audio file onto the wall in its different ranges. You know, it's all just by bars up and down and um, managed to discover that painting tape comes in a million different like, million different widths, and so we did a bunch of that, painted over it, and now it's this beautiful piece in our in one of our offices. And, and was this your first foray into the art world? <laughs> um, I would say uh, for in the distillery, that was pretty much our first foray for, that we um, went into. My husband has a bit of a knack for rare and odd art. Um, so we do have a bullseye in our living room that also has arrows 
drilled into the wall. Um, oh, wow. None of them have hit the bullseye. But okay. <laughs> he has, it always has, sort of has a mind to that kind of thing. And then on the music side of things, that's something that um, we actually do age some of our whiskey while listening to music. And so it's kind of just been a little part of our distillery to keep that music alive. Music is life. It keeps us going, keeps us playing. And so we wanted to represent that. that that's awesome. And and it does take up like the entire wall, right? <laughs> it's true. It's true. I'll, I'll definitely share a photo of you if you have any way, to, any way to share it. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's most cool when we play the sound and then point out the different points because, you know, like the fizz represents in this funny little way, like just little ups and downs. And then the chop of a lime is quite loud and is a real sharp line. <laughs> and something you don't think about every day, but hey. Yeah. And did, did you use like professional audio recording equipment or was this just like on an iPhone? No, nah, just an iPhone. Okay. Awesome. That run and gun. That's all you really need. Um, it's true. That's awesome. And, and, and again, so the, why the gin and tonic talk a little bit about why why that was important and not another cocktail um to us that's sort of the quintessential cocktail that you would go to if you're just like wanting to taste a spirit but also um are used to drinking things in a in a bar so when we took also took first took this gin into market one of the first things you know the first bar that we went to and really tasted it on someone and one they said it was great and two they also said that it's a great gin and we were like sweet we have succeeded in making gin because someone other than us and people who know us has identified it as that and, and <laughs> that it's a great one yeah so that's you know the little successes when you start something like this <laughs> it sounds ridiculous but you're very excited when someone tells you that it tastes like what it's meant to yeah yeah um and and so you came from a background in environmental nonprofits, but both you and Timo, right? Totally. Yeah, it's. Um, I think almost every distiller you've spoken to probably has a very different background, none of which has to do with the direct line from um, <laughs> distilling education to distiller. Exactly. But yeah, we um, met. We actually met at sea. Um, we actually just celebrated this month our 16-year anniversary. And so we were both working on environmental research vessels at the time. And um, at the time, we would travel around the world sort of doing part of um, – doing we weren't the scientists on board but we were maintaining the ships we were the crew getting scientists to the places that they needed to study and things like that um and so from there we were sort of put together in another couple scenarios and after a few years decided to settle in san francisco where we continued working for environmental nonprofits, but more based in actual land and had an apartment which was an amazing feeling to both of us after being timo had been at sea over five years and oh, wow. about three um, and yeah, the, the sea. And then once we moved into the, um, into San Francisco, we actually were managing the warehouses for some of these organizations and, um, doing the logistics for a lot of them. And all of these skills proved to be immensely helpful when opening a distillery. <laughs> yeah. So, talk, yeah, we were. And, and talk, talk a little bit more about that. Like what, you know. What, what types of things? A, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it, I think we did not, as we came, started looking and researching into distilling, we were not totally aware of how much of this would, you know, translate over, but both of us came into the entire thing with already 
forklifting experience and logistics experience and warehousing, maintenance of things, you know, pivoting when you need to, and especially working with what you have. So, you know, when you're on a ship, you literally have to, if something breaks, you have to fix it and you have to fix it with whatever is available to you. And so, you know, being a small family run business, you can't just buy the fanciest thing to fix every single part. So you're always sort of being a genius and trying to figure things out. One example I pointed out to some, a group the other day was we have a um, new, we have a control panel for our still, which tells the temperatures and things, which, and then parts of the still can be, depending on which part we're using, can be changed pneumatically. And that's all in a control panel. Um, and we had asked the company at one point how much it would be to connect that to a computer system so you could see the numbers on your computer screen. And it was some exorbitantly crazy fee for <laughs> this thing. And so we were like, well, there's things like webcams that exist. So we literally have a webcam that is held over our control panel aimed at it. And we have the exact same thing without spending thousands and thousands of dollars. There you go. <laughs> so you always got to figure things out. And that's, you know, that both came when we were at sea doing logistics work and now known the distilling world. And, and so what, what led you all to, to distilling where, where was kind of the, the aha moment or the light bulb moment that, you wanted to start a distillery? Um, let's see. So very early on, when Tim and I first got together, his family, he's British, and so his family has been um, making a slow gin traditionally in the UK for generations. They weren't doing the distilling part of it. They were just foraging for the berries, collecting those, adding it to gin, adding sugar, and then harvesting it usually around Christmas time and drinking with family. But it was a really strong family tradition. It was always his great-grandmother's family recipe. And um, he happened to, when he asked me to marry him, he happened to share a bottle with my father when he sort of asked my father if that was okay as well. My father said, what did she say? Which is the which is the appropriate thing to say, <laughs> right. um, but <laughs> it's like it's not up to me. Um, but he was very traditional, so he, he was like, "I wanted to present this bottle of slow gin," and so it was always something that's part of his family tradition. It had joined into ours, and then after um, about a dozen years working in environmental nonprofits, we had always been drawn to West County of Sonoma. There's something about it that was just. Um, our kind of people, our kind of vibe. And it's so much about the food and the drinks and living a great life and living by the ocean and living by the trees and all of that um, drew us. So we initially actually thought maybe we could, we could actually grow the slow berries and the botanicals in this area in Sonoma County and then join up with a distillery to share your family recipe and actually bring a traditionally made delicious slow gin to the U.S. market. We were um, well aware of the perception in the U.S. for slow gin. Initial responses are things like that stuff my grandmother used to drink or the stuff I had in high school. And so, but we also knew that there was an absolutely delicious uh, versions of slow gin. You just needed to use real fruit. Um, and so long story short, we, from the research of looking into farming in this area, we were also looking at distilleries that we maybe could connect up with. And this was a good 10 years ago. And so we were, um, through that research, we discovered that we were hyper passionate about doing everything from grain to glass. We were, were real traditionalists and really wanted to make sure that we were doing everything from scratch. And at the time, there were very, very few distilleries, especially around here in general, much less who were doing grain to glass. 
Um, so long story short, we decided to go crazy and start our own distillery to release our slow gin that way. So it kind of snowballed, didn't it? <laughs> you could say that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the other day, someone on the distilling forum said, is anyone available to do a couple different topics of conversation? And one was exit strategy. And I jokingly wrote, we were meant to have an exit strategy. <laughs> 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 turns into something, but, you know, we're, we're 10 years into it now. We're really, really actually very happy where we're at and feel like we've reached a point with the distillery that's exactly where we want it to be. Um, so it does take some time and a lot of struggles along the way, but it's, it's get, coming out of COVID and everything. It's still, we're still doing all right. Well, that's, that's awesome. And, and you're in a, uh, a, a really cool place. I, so I've, I once lived in Alameda, uh, in, in the Bay area Excellent. and, uh, but some, some of, some of our best weekends were time just spent up on the coast, uh, hanging out in Sebastopol, places like where you are. Um, totally. It, yeah. So t talk a little bit about it's, the, the area that you're in. I think in. We're, we were lucky, yeah, that we, um, we were drawn to an area that happens to be a vacation destination um, uh, and wanted to live in this area. And so also providing work, we're deep um, in the middle of wine country. And so we hoped, and it has proven to be true that providing a different options for tasting within a destination of, you know, many millions of people who come here every year, um, would be something that people would be really interested in. So not only the um, regionality of where we're based, but also even the location where we ended up choosing our distillery, um, of course, a lot of distilleries for many reasons are sort of behind anonymous roll-up doors in various parks around the country. And we happened to find, and there was a large industrial plot of land very close to downtown Sebastopol that was being turned into, it used to be an old apple processing plant, and they were turning the various warehouses into sort of a maker's district. And so now we're among this group of makers that include a couple wineries, two breweries, a cidery, a coffee roaster, and then a few restaurants. And so part of our ethos for the business was um, really to be transparent and educational as possible. We felt like as we were looking, we were finding a lot of smoke and mirrors in distillation and not a lot of people were totally transparent about how they made their spirits. And so we thought that that's the number one thing we want to present to people. And so being in a space where there were already people going to visit who could come to our tasting room and really spend the time to go to go on tours or even just our tasting room has been designed with a really large window looking into production um, so that we have the capacity to really communicate to all those people who do care about what goes into their food and their wine and their drink and who made it and how they made it. And I'm curious, um, both from the, the standpoint of the fact that you're, you know, you're kind of like in wine country, basically. Um, so you, you're, you're probably getting a lot of people in the tasting room that are, they're probably maybe there for, for that aspect of things, I'm guessing. What, what's been the, the change over time, you know, over the course of a decade in, in terms of, are there more people, do you feel like that are just coming like, yeah, I'm coming for craft spirits? Um, what's, what's been that, what's, what's it been like to watch that over the course of a decade? Yeah, over the course of a decade, it's been astounding, you know, I mean, we've, we're all well aware of the craft spirit 
um, growth going on around the country, and I would say it's equally relevant here just in Sonoma County, even including um, Napa County. I'm actually working on a, a little program right now to sort of make a Sonoma County distillery row um, map of sorts because we've never actually joined together to all talk to say we should market each other together. And um, there are about 13 distilleries now in Sonoma County. And when we started, there were two. Oh, wow. Um, so we keep it, things keep opening. And I really want to make this more of a destination and say, you know, there's Portland Distillery Row, there's obviously Kentucky, and you're in wine country, they're an astounding amount of stellar distilleries. And so we're really trying to collaborate there to do something for marketing purposes, and also, I think, make that um, more aware to tourists who are coming to visit. And certainly over time, we get more and more people who have visited other distilleries, um, where it used to just be like, oh, wow, I saw you guys and thought we'd pop in while we were wine tasting. And now there is a lot more intention behind people who are showing up that's great um and, and you talked a little bit about that you know kind of grain to glass is like a uh I, I mean is that kind of like the the core value mission statement of the distillery um i think grain to glass is part of it our we sort of function around um five words that we we always are functioning within and our mission is sort of that transparency education diligence, creativity, and being intentional behind everything that we make. Um, and part of that diligence and, and transparency to us meant that we had to do it grain to glass. Um, meant to us, we, want, we had to show that we brought in whole grain, mill, mash, ferment, and then distill that spirit totally made by us and not um, somewhere further in the middle of the country that may be doing it out of, you know, producing something out of an industrial fire hose instead of a craft distilled spirit. After a quick break, more with Ashby Marshall of Spirit Works Distillery. This podcast is a production of the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine. ACSA is the only registered national nonprofit trade group representing the U.S. craft spirits industry through conventions, webinars, publications, competitions, special programs, and more. It's our mission to elevate and advocate for the community of craft spirits producers. Learn more at AmericanCraftSpirits.org. Craft Spirits Magazine is the unparalleled resource for in-depth insight and intelligence for the entire craft spirits universe. The bi-monthly digital magazine features the information and analysis that small independent spirits producers and allied businesses need to operate in today's complex craft beverage market. To see our latest issue and subscribe for free, visit craftspiritsmag.com. Back in January, SpiritWorks announced that it was promoting Crystal Goulart to head distiller. Prior to that, Lauren Patz held the same title. Ashby says the line of female distillers was more coincidental than intentional. Of course, we have we have never um, specifically targeted any gender or anything like that in this organization. But I started as the head distiller, and then um, there was a natural progress progression from a woman uh, many will know named Lauren Paths, who started in our tasting room, and then she was just one of those people that like her. She's from wine, so she had a little bit of background, and she was just one of those people who was like, yes, she's always there, she's always paying attention, and she was clearly destined to. Um, 
go on the dis- distilling path. And then as she eventually moved on, um, both she and myself trained up our current head distiller, Crystal Goulart, who's been um, with us for four years and has been head distiller for the past two years and has just brought some um, real intention and detail to the work that we've been putting out in the spirits. And we're really lucky to have her. Um, there is a guy on our distilling team, our apprentice, actually our assistant distiller is a guy named Tyler and he's awesome. And then, um, you know, people, people come and go all the time. So I think, I think we've never done it intentionally, but it's always, it's kind of fun to have a, a woman down there who's in charge of most of the production. Yeah, no, and I, and I that's awesome. Uh, and, and I guess kind of going back to that same, um, that same question before about, you know, your decade in what, uh, I guess from the standpoint of representation with female distillers, what, what's your recollection of what things looked like 10 years ago versus what they look like now, just in, in general in craft distilling? Um, I, you know, I think craft distilling very much is sort of representative of how the country has sort of moved in general. I would, I would assume, and I've seen that most industries have opened up more to women in more positions of power, more positions, not traditionally female roles. Um, and I think to expand beyond that is even into gender fluidity and, you know, just being totally open to any types of people that want to be in any industry. I think it's something that we really pride ourselves on and from a social justice background and, um, you know, LGBT community background, it's like anyone should be allowed to do and be good at whatever job they're good at, should be entitled and enjoy being able to do that. So we're just lucky to be able to help more people get there, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and what types of, uh, are you able to talk about any anything cool that Crystal's working on right now? That's I, I want to talk about your your you know your regular products in a minute, but uh, any, anything down the line that uh, you can talk about? We're um, we're considering right now. We're just sort of working on. We've never put out an Amaro of our own, and um, we're really lucky that we have a spirits club um, here, and so a lot of people in the wine in the wine world are used to sort of signing up for something that they receive their spirits every couple of months. Um, And so we have a great large spirit club here, which allows us to release creative products that we don't necessarily have to get through our distributor and into market. Um, So the first one that we have coming out actually is our, our most our next release, which is in September is going to be a light spelt whiskey um, and that's light spelt that's been distilled as a light whiskey. And then it was aged in a sour beer barrel for over four years. So we're oh, wow. super looking forward to putting that out. It's a really unique, really incredible, um, very nutty whiskey. We're all loving it. Are you able to say where, where the sour beer barrel is from? I wouldn't on the label, but I'm happy to tell you it's from Woodford, one of our neighbors in the Barlow. Fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. um yeah and they're excellent sour beer makers so we're very excited about it and we actually have two of those barrels we're pretty excited to get out there and then um we had we also had the we're like we should make it tomorrow because we have a tasting room but of course tasting rooms at least in california you can only mix with your spirits um, so the tasting room staff were like you know it'd be lovely if we had some sort of amaro bitters that we could work with and um crystal and i right now are sort of working on taking our twist on it. So we're going to have something that's a slow base 
um, but amaro. So using those slow berries and try to extract, extract all that beautiful um, tart juice and turn that into another sort of amaro that we can put out and have the tasting room be able to mix with as well. And then just kind of uh, walk walk me through the 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 regular flagship and regular lineup of products that you all have. Sure. Um, yeah, we're we because we're grain to glass, and as I talked about, we wanted to start with a slow gin. Um, that by nature meant that we were going to be distilling a vodka to distill a great gin to then make our slow gin. Um, so we have a hybrid pot still at our distillery, a 21-plate column that allows us to distill that initial um, base spirit in our own space. So we can distill up to 190 proof through the whole run, and then that spirit, we decide whether it is going to become gin, vodka, or it'll become slow gin. Um, and so our gin, of course, we put all of vodka back in the still, add our botanicals, we um, we use mostly traditional botanicals, but we really hand zest lemon and orange peel and add a little bit of um, hibiscus, which adds a nice tea element to it. And then, of course, when we're making slow gin, we will take our gin. We add about approximately two pounds of berries per bottle um, of slow berries that we actually that's one of the few resources that were very um, difficult to find in the U.S. So we actually import our organic slows from Bulgaria. And um, we will soak those in the tank for however long it takes with the gin. And we eventually strain out the slows from the juice. We put the slows actually through a press itself um, because they've sucked up all the gin and we want it back out and we want their juice. <laughs> and um, from there, we taste it and add sugar. Slow gin is by definition a liqueur. So there is a certain amount of sugar added. And it's, I think, a really lovely spirit to make it with because slows themselves are super um, tart and astringent. And so a lot of the cures you'll find are flavor are sweetened, but they already started something sweet. The, the fruit that began, it already is sweet. Um, and so ours starts with this really astringent, dry, slightly tart spirit that we add sugar into to the point that um, that makes it delicious, but not is not cloyingly overpowering. And then, of course, because we're a craft distillery and um, I've always had a passion for whiskey, there was no way we were going to be doing any of that without making some whiskey. Yeah. So our initial grain that we started with was 100% organic California red winter wheat. And that's the base for our vodka gin, slow gin. We also do a barrel aged um, gin. And then um, we do have some rye because we do a high rye, 70% rye, 30% malt, specialty malted barleys. And then we also just recently actually put out in 2020 our first bourbon. Uh, we're lucky all of our whiskeys are aged over four years. It's all organic grains that go into them. That was one of the reasons it took us a little while actually to put out a bourbon. It was hard, a little hard to find organic locally sourced corn. Um, but once we got that source, we were plugging away making bourbon. So we released that in the middle of the uh, demise of 2020. But it was still well received. So we were excited about that. And how many of your your whiskeys are are getting the musical treatment? Are those one off things, or is that happening to like you know the, these regular products? It is. It's more of a one off. So how we do it? Each batch of our whiskey essentially creates two barrels. We use two thousand pounds of grain, and that translates into two barrels of whiskey. So um, we have about I think eight of them going right now with different music, and then because each batch makes two we can play one to music and then we have the control that's literally the same mash um and so we've done really fun 
blind taste testings with consumers. Our first one that we ever released was um, the Devil Makes Three, which is a bluegrass group, and then the Nutcracker. And so we put four um, spirits in front of everyone, knowing that two were music and two were control. And interestingly, overwhelmingly, the Nutcracker was the um, it was almost called out by it was like 75% of the people could identify it, which is amazing. You know, we, of course, always say any barrel is like a snowflake and you're going to get variation and different beauties amongst each of them. Yeah. Um, It's been a fun progress to kind of see what people think right now in the tasting room, we actually have just released our um, recall classic rock, but may or may not have been listening to Led Zeppelin for for the past six and a half years. Oh, wow. (laughs) And that one is awesome. (laughs) It's it's also a six and a half year um, whiskey. And so that's exciting to see, you know, just a little couple more years in there, see what people think of them. One of the funniest sort of media press coverage we ever got was because of our music barrels. When Channel 7 shows up one day, ABC, and it was like a guy who filmed himself. He changed into a suit. He filmed us. He did this. He went home and cut the piece. And then it played that night on Channel 7. And then the next day, we got a text very early in the morning from a friend of ours being like, why are you on Good Morning America? And I'm like, I don't know why we're on Good Morning America. And then later we got a text from someone in Australia and there literally must have been zero news in the whole world that day because they picked up a minute and a half long piece about our distillery playing music to barrels and played it everywhere. <laughs> so if I want to see what the, what it looks like, then I need to, I need to find that clip. You need to find that clip. I think it's, I think it's on our website. It was a few years ago now, actually. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was funny. Well, it kind of goes back to my, my question earlier. Is this some kind of professional thing or are there like iPhones sitting there playing music? Oh, it's iPhones. Okay. Again, <laughs> we, we, again, we make things work. But in like it's real so headphones, versatile. like the kind that go over ear, we've stretched them to be over over the um, <laughs> the barrels themselves. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing even, you know, that it seems kind of humorous, but even that amount when you look inside is vibrating whiskey and that's the whole goal is to just increase the contact between the whiskey and the wood and see see what sort of differences those make so despite not blaring at them you know through like the biggest speakers we could find it's definitely definitely doing a little bit yeah that's that's awesome um and and of your whiskeys what is what is your favorite oh geez for me absolutely our rye um that's i'm a i i love spice i love real bold flavors and um was really excited to get a hold of of the rye that we've been working with we actually just joined up with a farmer here really local and we always source our grain from the sacramento valley which is very close and then some of our rye does come um from canada at times but we found a farmer here locally um who's growing organically it's not necessarily necessarily certified but we've just done a couple mash bills of um a 95.5 so really wanting to feature that local grain and giving it as much you know forefront as we can and then five percent of some malted barley so i'm looking forward to those those were just made a few years ago or a few months ago so it's going to be a while but it's very exciting to have them have access to them and since you brought up the Um, the sacramento valley you know we were talking uh recently for a story i'm working on about vodka and um yeah and and i was you know talking i've been talking with all these these producers of vodka about is there this sense of regionality and terroir possible is that a thing that's possible for vodka and you had mentioned that um you know if if you had 
uh, wheat come in from one area versus another, you actually wouldn't mind if there is some variation because you, you look at your, your spirits as batch products. So just talk to me a little bit about that aspect of what you do. Absolutely. I think, I think very early on setting up a distillery, you sort of have to decide whether you are a batch producing facility or, or if you are going for exactly consistent flavor profiles every time. And we really wanted to relish in the fact that these are batches and sometimes nature gives you variety. Um, so we do a, a gin, which is a distilled gin. So all of the botanicals go in the pot or helmet all at the same time, as opposed to distilling those separately. And then similarly, um, with our whiskeys, we, if the grain, you know, happens to have a slightly different flavor profile, as long as it's still within range of what we're expecting and quite used to, it, it's really exciting to see that, you know, sometimes the caramel levels on the wheat that comes over just happens to be extra strong. There's some barrels that we just are like, this is an incredible wheat barrel. We're so excited. And, you know, I'm sure it was just some little extra special grain we got a hold of. So I'm always, I'm, I think that's the, you know, the art of a craft distillery is to really show what you can do and what you can do despite variations and things that's like we relish in that. And want, pe want people, I love when people notice like slight differences between our whiskeys and things like that. It's like, wow, you have a really, you have a really good nose. Yeah. Um, what else makes Spirit Works unique that we haven't talked about? Um, I think we talked about it, but our slow gin, man, it's still the only um, slow gin made with real fruit produced in the U.S. to date. So that's kind of an exciting thing for us. Years ago, we also had a distiller friend say, well, if you're going to make the only traditionally made slow gin in the U.S., then you should make the only barrel-aged slow gin in the world, which is, as far as we can tell, still the case. And so we also um, put some of our slow gin into a whiskey barrel, new American charred barrel for about three to three to six months depending and that's um it's been just an awesome spirit to have in market because no one's really heard of it but the moment they try it they just find it amazing we often recommend with our slow gin um for people who don't necessarily know what to use do with it it's of course in the uk and europe drunk like a port at the end of dinner but here we found that it's an awesome replacement for sweet vermouth in a lot of cocktails like a negroni or a manhattan um, and then some of people's favorites, and I actually just made one for a Humane Society um, event the other day, but there is, you can do just a little bit of sparkling wine and slow gin and um, a little bit of lime juice or bitters, and you've got a perfect slow royale, which is kind of our take on a cure royale, which is kind of, it's always nice to show people what, what they can do with the spirit that um, they may not have heard of and or if they had, didn't know that they could use it in a beautiful way. Yeah, I'm very thirsty now. That sounds that sounds really <laughs> good. Um, it's always that final bubble bubble suggestion. It's like, ooh, spirits and bubbles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's have some of those. Yeah, and maybe it's because I've been sipping on just some soda stream water while we're talking. Um, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, sounds like, it sounds like you might need a highball pretty soon. Your your day's almost over. It's, isn't tr it? it's true. It's true. It's true. I'm, it's it's almost five o'clock here on the east coast. There you uh, go. Um, See? You deserve it. <laughs> uh, any any parting words, ad, advice for um, you know potential craft distillers out there um, that you'd want to leave people with? Um, let's see, I'd say stay 
really true to yourself and what you set out that distillery to become. There's a lot of pressures in the industry for everything from, you know, reducing the price to changing the process to changing your labels and everything in there. There's a lot of validity to to some of that feedback, but also I think we've gotten the most um, praise for maintaining our grain to glass concept and maintaining the education and transparency side of our company that people have come to expect from us. So I think staying true to yourself really will get you further despite the pressures to maybe change a few things along the way. So the, I, the last question that I have for you is what, what does spirit works look like in 10 years? To be honest, to, to me, spirit works in 10 years, I really have a goal of, um, getting that regionality of grain down to miles away from our distillery. You know, we're surrounded by farm country of various different kinds and beautiful soil. And the more I can join with local farmers to create a better livelihood for them and to create better whiskey for us is um, something I'm always going to strive for. So being able to get to a point possibly that we can talk about, I think it was you, I said, you know, it's really hard to talk about like wine, the difference of one hillside to the other, like how you would with grapes. But man, if I could get there, I would, that would be all about it. Think about the variations that you could get and the ability to talk about that and to learn that shaded versus non-shaded presents these different flavors would just be a great, great thing that we're actively pursuing. That's our program for today. Thanks again to Ashby Marshall for joining us. You can learn more about Spirit Works spiritworksdistillery.com We'll be back in a few weeks. Until then, thanks for listening and cheers. Cheers.